Welcome to The Future Belongs to Creators. I'm your host, Barrett Brooks. I'm the COO at ConvertKit. My co-host is our CEO, Nathan Barry. We're on a mission to help creators earn a living, and this is a show about turning anxious energy into creative output during times of uncertainty. You know, you would think we're professionals at this by now, but in fact, we are not. My name is Barrett Brooks. This is Nathan Barry. This is episode, I think it's number 87, and we are going to talk about five, maybe six questions to ask about 2020 as you plan for 2021 or 2020 and 2021, I guess. Get into the annual planning process. It's November. It's the holidays. Halloween is over. It's the holiday season. Be prepared for Christmas decorations at every mall you... Oh, wait, wait, wait. That's from a bygone era. (laughs) I'm showing my age. Not only do we not go shopping in person, but malls are also not a thing. It would not be the future belongs to creators if we didn't kick off with, Nathan, how are you doing? I am good. I'm green. A little overwhelmed in some areas, but you know, Barry, I'm going to give you a little teaser here. There is a conversation that I want to fill you in on, but I can't do it till after we end this show, but it's going to make you happy. Oh boy. Now I'm just anxious. No, it's a good conversation. Anyway, so I'm green. Barrett, if he's not green, will be later. Anyway, but Barrett, how are you in this moment before I change it? I think I'm relatively green. We've got a lot going on internally. We're hiring for a product leadership role. We're hiring for an engineering leadership role. That's new. Mm -hmm. And anytime we're hiring for roles in the leadership team, a lot of that we carry, obviously, because we lead that team. So there's a lot of exciting work going on recruiting. I'm currently directly managing the engineering team, which has actually been really fun. I really like getting close to the product or closer to the product than I am day to day. And so it's been kind of fun to dive in with them and just provide a little support there. This weekend, did a number of things. We carved pumpkins. Nice. I opened a pumpkin, okay? I opened a pumpkin. I took the top off and inside was endless mold. Oh no. There was no cracks in it. It was just internally, it had gone bad. And I learned that you really shouldn't carve those because it'll like spread the spores everywhere. So what I ended up doing was we had a baking pumpkin, like a little tiny guy. And I carved that. And my father-in-law, who's never carved a pumpkin, carved a big one. So anyways, that was really fun. Nice. We dressed my kid up as an avocado. And then Sunday, we had a nice sunny day. It was like 60 degrees. My buddy and I went over to the park and we did batting practice with baseballs and stuff. And it was so much fun. Nice. We literally hit the cover off one of the balls. So anyways, I know everyone was wondering how I spent my weekend, <laughs> but what they are actually here for is the content. So let's get into it. We've got a list of questions here that we think will be, it's not like a full annual review process. So I wouldn't think of it that way. It's more of like a lightweight, get you into the mindset of thinking about this year as you start thinking towards 2021 and what you want to do in your creative business. So Nathan, do you want to kick us off with maybe the first one? Yeah. Well, first I just say that this idea came about because I was thinking about how it's important what questions we ask. If you ask better questions, you're going to get better outcomes. So then I was like, okay, let's do an episode on what question, like how to ask better questions. And I thought, you know what? Let's do it. We can get into some of that if we want to, why we like these questions. But let's frame it specifically around the outcome, something that's coming up. It would be so easy to be like, 2020 was terrible. Let's write that whole thing off. Let's just dive into 2021. And we totally won't replicate any of the mistakes that we made last year. That never happens. And if you do that, then you're probably going to repeat some of those things or not learn from some of the painful lessons that you went through, you know, painful experiences. So the first question that I want to start with is what am I most proud of from 2020? 
at first that might seem hard. You know, I'm not proud of anything. I wrote the whole year off. We're actually pretending that that doesn't exist. You know, or you might, like a bunch of things might come to mind. You might have been that person who weighed through a lot of adversity. You might be proud of the way that you did that. And at least for me, there's this simple framework of, do you spend more time thinking about the past, the present, or the future? I'm that person who spends all my time thinking about the future and just enough time thinking about the past to like play back with the things that I've screwed up and remind myself, you know, like, I don't know, beat myself over the head of it. Like, remember that party 11 years ago where you said that dumb thing? Like, that's the extent of my thinking about the past. And so this question of what am I most proud of gets you thinking about the past in a positive way and thinking about those changes, what came from it and, you know, what you want to build on going forward. Yeah. And the two of us are infamous for just passing right by all of the achievements along the way and not celebrating them as we go, like turning immediately to that next hard challenge. And I think a lot of kind of type A or driven or ambitious or even just creative people are always like creativity comes from the future. It's always about what's next. What do I see as possible? Mm -hmm. And what am I proud of? Just takes just a minute. You don't even have to sit in it forever if you don't want to. But it like basks a little bit in the, wow, okay, I'm like a worthy human being that's done some good things. It's worth celebrating myself on this. It starts you off in that mindset that says, okay, life is positive in these ways. It's, it's almost like gratitude for yourself, you know, gratitude for the way that you've showed up. And I find that by starting a conversation with that positive angle, it kind of frames the entire thing. And even when you think about some of the things maybe that are holding you back or some of your obstacles, because you've already acknowledged kind of what went well, what you're proud of yourself for, it properly contextualizes the downside. Yeah. So that kind of leads to maybe question number two, which was what habits or thought patterns held you back in 2020? And this is a big one, I think, especially for anyone who is putting original work out into the world. And I don't know if we have we ever shared our definition of creator as you wrote it for a book proposal you're working on. Oh, I don't think so. So I remember it. Okay, go for it. Because I'm always using it in every every new teammate that joins a team, we each do a session. You do a mission and vision session and I do creators as a market, like as a group that we serve session. Yep. And so in that, I always recite it. And it is any person who creates original work to teach, inspire, or entertain a dedicated audience of fans or something like that. Yep. So it's kind of like three pieces, right? Original work, teach, inspire, or entertain, and then dedicated audience of fans. And that original work piece means that we can always kind of doubt ourselves in that. There's like a lot of things that we can say like, oh, I feel like an imposter or I'm not good enough to put this out there or will anyone care? And that stuff can really eat at you as a creator. At least it has for me at times. And then there's other things that we do like this month, for example, I'm just doing a no alcohol month just because I can my last day will be Thanksgiving so I can have a glass of wine with my family for Thanksgiving. The reason is just I had gotten in a habit during the pandemic of like, I can't go anywhere. I can't see friends. I'm just going to make myself a cocktail three or four times a week. And like, do I have a drinking problem? No, definitely not. I have a drink a night or something like that. But it was becoming a habit. Right. And I remember one time I was staying at James Clear's house and he was like putting us up as we were driving across the country from New York back to Portland as we moved. And we drove by this couple on the way to dinner. And he said, you know, that's a great example of what I talk about in my books, which is that habits compound. And I think about my wife and I going to work out every afternoon. And then I see this couple who sits out here and has a cigarette and a cocktail every night at the same time we go to work out. And that is like the epitome of what I mean by compounding habits. 
There's nothing right or wrong necessarily with either one. I mean, you can get into smoking and all that, but there's nothing right or wrong about either one, but it's the imbalance and the compounding of the habit that adds up over time. So that's really what this is about is where are those negative thought patterns and habits that might be holding you back from achieving what you really want to achieve in your life? That compounding is such a good way to think about it because the individual habit doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. You know, you're like, oh, maybe I did this good thing. All right. You did it once doesn't really matter. Maybe you did this negative thing. Again, you did it once. It doesn't really matter. It's what does that lead to over time? And that's something like I've been getting back into running. And that's something that I know I want to continue going forward. That would go on the list of like, oh, that's a habit that actually helped improve my thinking. Mm -hmm. So when I think about habits or thought patterns that held you back, I'm trying to think of what some other examples are. I think one for me I guess we didn't say that we were going to get into, like share examples on this call. Now that we are, one for me would be falling into a victim mindset of like so much happened to all of us this year. You know, it feels like these things are just piling on and on. And if we look at it, like the world is just not going to get better, like on its own. It's just not going to happen. And so I have to get good at noticing that habit of like this thing that I really wanted to happen, this conference, this trip, you know, any of these things this progress in the business that I wanted to happen, it didn't happen for something outside of my control. And it could just be like kind of this woe is me. And so realizing that pattern or that mindset that you want to end is like, okay, I, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to take this extreme ownership for everything that I can in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think so much of this is about like for me on the drinking thing, for example, like if I'm working out four days a week, which I've been pretty good about this year and I'm having a drink Friday and Saturday, like that's awesome. Yep. It's all in the balance of these things. Another one is, I think I've shared this on the show before, I've really played a lot more mobile video games this year. Like I never play video games. I played some growing up, but if the sun was out, it was like, I'm outside. Yeah. If it's rainy and like I have literally nothing else to do was when I would play video games. These are just like things ingrained in my mind from my parents. Thanks, mom. It's like go outside and be useful is what I hear in my head. But I've just felt at the end of a lot of days, I'm like drained, Mm -hmm. you know, between having a relatively new addition to the family and our kid and then the pandemic and just like work and, you know, carrying a lot. It's like, ah, all I have left is play a video game. But I also know that I could probably spend 30 minutes reading rather than just playing my mobile video game every night. And that would be a really positive addition where maybe the habit becomes like out of this review, right? Oh, well, I played a lot of video games. Do I value that? Do I want to be doing that? And part of me is like, well, it's a way to escape Mm -hmm. and just enjoy something that's low mental overhead. But maybe what I think about as I go to 2021 is I can play video games after I've read a chapter of a book. And that's how I get my balance, you know, like wanting to encourage learning and development, but also getting that time to myself. Yeah, that makes sense. Someone in the health and nutrition space that I talked to years ago said that the thing that he always tries to get his clients to do is not take away something, but add something. So the first healthy change that he tries to get them to do, it's not count calories or any of this. He just says, I just want you to eat a piece of fruit every day. And they're like, okay, and what else? He's like, that's it. (laughs) Go eat like an apple, a banana, orange, something. I don't even care. Just eat a piece of fruit every day. And they're like, Okay. They're just adding something and they're like, wait, I don't have to take something away. It's just this like positive addition. You can check it off. It's also way easier to do something positive than to not do something. Yep. Because I could eat my apple or my banana with breakfast or whatever. And I could check that off for the day. And I'm like, sweet. I hit that goal. Yeah. But if I'm like, don't eat sugar and that's my goal, then every, there's like 11 times throughout the day that I might encounter that decision. Right. And so when he's trying to create this change, he's just trying to get people to do it in these small ways and then see these wins stack up. Mm. 
It reminds me of another one, and then we'll move on to our next question, which is one of the top tips from top career coaches for people who are looking for jobs is to exercise, is to add in 20 minutes of exercise every day. I can't remember if this is like empirically proven. I feel like I've read a study on it, but basically people who exercise every day has a much higher correlation of people who end up with a job in a shorter time span than people who don't. Mm. And the reason is that so much is out of your control in the job search that just taking back that little piece of control and like doing something positive increases your confidence. It increases your sense of agency over what you're doing and searching for a job and everything. So anyways, it's that kind of thing where adding in can be really powerful as you're trying to like reshape or change other habits. So, yep. Love it. Okay. That question to remind you was what habits or thought patterns held you back in 2020? Okay. So number three is what is the biggest obstacle you face right now? There's a second part of the question that we'll get to in a second. On obstacles, we're so often ready to dive in. 2021, here's how it's going to be. We're going to solve all these problems. And you're like, wait, it's going to magically be different? What, what's going to change? And so in looking at this, it's like, okay, what obstacle am I actually facing? Oh, I'm not able to grow the company fast enough. Okay, that's not a real obstacle. You went very surface level. You know, I, I wasn't able to achieve my financial milestones for the year. Okay, but why? Right. And as you keep digging layers deeper, then you might realize like, okay, the content that I was writing did not actually produce the traffic that I thought that it would, which had these downstream effects. Right. And so if you actually break it down to obstacles, you have to dig three, four, five layers deeper. And that's where the second question comes in. What advice would your future self give you about how to overcome it? And actually, sometimes this could even be your present self, Mm -hmm. but it does help to imagine like, okay, Nathan is stuck on this difficult problem. He can't solve it. Future Nathan, let's say 18 months, two years from now, has all this perspective and knowledge, and he could give advice on that. What advice would he give? It's a weird little mental thing to play, but often you're like, oh, well, here's how we should solve it. He would say, do this. Another classic coaching question in this kind of situation is, okay, great. So that's the problem. And so let's say my coach was talking to me and say, well, let's say Nathan had this problem. And let me describe to you Nathan's problem. What advice would you give Nathan? And all of a sudden, when it's someone else's problem, it's like crystal clear, right? Because it's their problem, not your problem. It's like, oh, well, that's simple. I would just do ABC. It's like, oh, really? Would you now? (laughs) When it's your problem, there's all these voices in your head of like, yeah, but there's all these details. If I'm giving advice to someone else, then I'm like, I think you're way too caught up in the weeds. I don't think it's actually that complicated. But then when the advice comes back to me, it's like, no, 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 trust me. There's all these details. It's super complicated. Like, you know, there's all these other things. And when you have to listen to your own excuses and details and everything else, as if they were coming from another person, then it starts to sound like, okay, this is a lot of nonsense. And it probably just needs a basic plan and then deliberate action rather than, you know, whatever you were coming up with in the meantime. Yeah, totally. And I just want to highlight the golden nugget in all of that that I think you shared is that five whys exercise, which I'm sure many people on the podcast have heard. But just in case you haven't and you're listening to this, the whole idea is that if you boil any problem or thing down to five layers deep of asking why. So like to your point, Nathan, let's say I set out with the goal of, I don't know, saving $25,000 or something like that. And we were starting from a place of like $3,000 and you end the year at 10. It's like, well, dang, I thought that I could save $25,000 this year and like have my emergency fund set aside or whatever. Why did I only get this far? And you ask why? And it's like, well, we didn't put enough money into savings. And it's like, okay, well, yes, but why? 
well, I guess we earned as much as we thought we were going to. So hmm, I guess we spent more than we thought we were going to. All right, well, why? And then you have to get into like the monthly budget layer. Well, where did you spend? Well, clearly didn't eat out more than you thought you were going to. So maybe e-commerce ate up your budget this year. You know, it's like, well, e-commerce ate up my budget. Now the fifth why is like, okay, now I'm at the psychology of why did I spend all this money on e-commerce purchases this year? And in 2020, maybe it's just like, well, anxiety. I don't know. It was something to do with my time. And so I ended up spending extra money instead of saving it. And so what you can do is you get really down to the base level or to your point about content, maybe it's like you get down to why it wouldn't spread. And it's like, well, I don't have an editor. Or maybe it's like, I don't write very good headlines or my writing is not as clear. Well, why? Well, I publish first drafts instead of really going deeper. Mm -hmm. That's the obstacle is like, I write and publish first drafts. We're just doing a deep dive on my own psychology on writing right now. But maybe that's the actual problem is you need either an editor or you need to step into a different role as editor so that your content becomes more refined in order to spread. Right. So anyways, use the five whys to your advantage in diagnosing this. Well, because what that makes me think of is you might find that you need to take a step back and you might be publishing first drafts because you're sticking to a consistent schedule and you're working right up to that schedule. And so it might be that you could play a different role if you had the first draft ready a week before it was supposed to be published. You can dig back and figure out, you might not actually be a bad headline writer. You might be writing compelling content. You just are publishing version one. And if you gave yourself a lot more time for it, our friend Sean McCabe talked about this same kind of thing when he wanted to write a lot. For you and I, if we write a thousand words a day, we're super happy. Sean's one of those people who's like, if it's not a 5,000 word day, no, I don't know that he would say that, but he's the kind of person who could churn out that level of content. And he found that actually the most important thing, he found that if he got up early, then he could write really well. And that was his sweet spot, but it was hard to get up early. And he just kept working back of like, well, why is it hard to get up early? And he kept going back all these layers. And really what he found is that the day before, he needs to quit work at a reasonable time. And then his evening schedule started earlier. Then he went to bed earlier. You know, he got his workout in, you know, all of that. And just all stacked up to being able to show up early in the morning at his prime writing time, happy and successful and ready to make it happen. And so as you dig deeper, you'll find out that the cause is often something that's within your control. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Okay, next question. Context for this question is, no creator can earn a living without first earning revenue. Hey, that's a deep one. So what drove revenue for you in your business this year? So on this one, I find that a lot of creators don't know. They know that they're selling stuff and they know there's money hitting their bank account, mm. but they don't know how much money different products are driving, how much revenue. And they also often don't know the difference between revenue and income. And so what I would encourage here on this one is it's a little bit of a financial review question because what you want to get down to is what are the different products you have available for sale or services? How much revenue did each of them drive? So basically how much did customers pay you for those different products throughout the year? If you want to break it down monthly, that's great. And then what were your expenses during each of those months or throughout the year? And then what is the difference between the two? Revenue minus expenses equals your income. And so really that's how much you earn from your creative endeavors. By breaking it down by product, I think it really starts to highlight, at least for me sometimes, is what do I have an emotional attachment to versus what actually makes me money? Mm -hmm. And those things can often be completely separate. And we've seen this from a number of friends as well, where what they have emotional attachment to and what drives their actual business success are like opposites a lot of the time. Right. So that's the first question here. Anything you'd add to that? Yeah, I would just say that there's a level of financial discipline that took me a long time as a creator to actually establish. And one thing that was really helpful 
when I didn't know what I was doing, you know, was I didn't know how to read an income statement or any of those things is actually publishing real numbers in my annual reviews. Mm. And if you want to write the annual review with all the real numbers and then pull out some of those and publish something that you're more comfortable sharing a subset of, that's totally fine. But actually taking the time to break down, I made $57,000 this last year. 15 of it was from this. 35 was from this. Four was from that, you know, and breaking that down into specifics because you're spot on that our perceptions of where the money came from and what's working can often be very different from what's actually working and what we should be doubling down on or focusing on. Yeah, for sure. Two follow-up questions to this. One is, what did you work on that didn't yield results or revenue? And so sometimes what we'll do is, and this may also loop back to the what habits or thought patterns held you back. So sometimes what we'll do is we'll put all this energy into a new project because it's exciting, it's new. And then one of two things will happen. Either we'll lose enthusiasm through what Seth Godin would call the dip, which is like the emotional agony you feel when you have started a project and then you realize how much further you have to go and you're not sure it's worth it. So you quit. Or two is you launch it and no one cares. And you don't make any money from it or you don't get any attention to it. Mm -hmm. So I find that it is just as useful to analyze the failures or the things that didn't earn or achieve the results as we expected as the ones that did. So that first question is what drove revenue? The second one is what were you hoping would drive revenue or good business results that didn't? Because what that gives you is, okay, I made some bets over here or they were proven and I made some money from them. And over here, I made some bets and they didn't work. Well, what do these have in common? And then what are the things that did yield results have in common? And what can I learn from that? A lot of times what I find in comparing those two things, and this will get us into the the second follow-up question, is we like new. Customers often just like what we do really, really well. And so like an example of this that I'll share on the positive side is our friend Sean Blanc has a course called the Focus Course. Focus course is a really great way to get clear on what do you value and align how you spend your time to what you value. That's the basic value proposition of the whole thing. I think Sean could probably run a successful business just on the focus course, probably for the rest of his career. Mm -hmm. But as a creative person, we all want new things. We want to create new stuff. And so Sean regularly creates new courses and new opportunities. And that's fine. His business is great. It's very healthy. And he makes money off a lot of those things. And I will maintain that if he only had the one thing, he might have just as healthy, maybe a healthier business because of the focus, which is ironic in this case. And so that's where this analysis comes in is recognizing what's working for you and what didn't work. And the lesson is not to take away, don't take any risks, but it's just to understand, make sure you keep the main thing, the main thing, as Stephen Covey would say it, and pursue that thing first to make your money and kind of like take care of all of that and then take risks outside of that. Well, what that makes me think of is so often when you create something, and I know this from spending a ton of time in the course business, is you're like, great, now that's selling for me. Now let me create the next course, the next product. And then you build this empire, right? Because we look at people and we're like, oh, it's amazing that you have this empire of products. They're all making money for you. They're all working for you. There's an element of truth to that. But at the same time, if you just took that one course and relaunched it and said like, okay, that was a great first version that we recorded in the little home studio setup. But now that it's made $40,000, I'm going to spend 5,000 of that and go reshoot it in a professional setup. So I think that we chronically underestimate as creators, the impact that we could have of taking something that had an initial success and maybe you take six months away from it. Maybe you let it coast for a little while and then you come back and say, okay, what's the new version that's twice as good? What can I do from here? 
And totally, because you see these people build entire businesses around one core thing and it works really, really well. And I'll just call another thing that's so easy to fall into as a trap for creators is to say like, oh, this had a ton of success. I also have this other passion over here. So let me go do that. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like bring it back. Yeah. Think of Venn diagrams of overlapping audiences. You want as much overlap as possible. And if you want to chase new things, think about it for different income levels or different like scales of problems for the same group. So like Brendan Dunn is a great example of this, right? He's teaching freelancers how to price and sell their products, right? That's one thing. But within that same group, he'd be like, okay, now I'm going to teach agencies how to do this other thing. And I might have an expensive masterclass just for them, right? It's still in the same genre of people doing a service-based business. He's just found someone in a subset that's able to pay a lot more. So anyway, a lot on that. I guess you have a second part of this question. The last follow-up question to this is, how do you want to earn revenue in 2021? And so you take, how did you earn revenue? You take, how did you try to earn revenue but didn't? What do I want to be true next year about how I earn income from my business? I think this gives you a useful approach to mapping where realistically is money going to come from and then what can you do to influence that in the new year. And it really takes into account not just what you wish were true, but what is already true and therefore what you should build on in the new year. Yeah. And I imagine that as being, I don't know, drawing two pie charts or two bar charts, something like that, where we're breaking down, this is what the previous year was. So the breakdown, whether it's within your products, whether it's products versus services versus coaching. And then in the new year, the split is going to look like this. And I guess probably a bar chart's the way to go. Cause then you could say like 50,000 this year, and we're going to hit 75,000 the next year or something. And you can see where those gains are going to come from. When you put it on paper, it makes it harder to fall into the trap of like, and everything is just going to go up. We're going to make more money in every category. And it's like, are you? What's going to make that happen? You're just going to magically do that? Or you're going to focus equally on every category? When you're forced to spell it out, I think that becomes a lot more obvious. Agreed. What's our last question, Nathan? Okay, so question six of our five question series. This is a bonus question. Everyone needs a bonus question. If we were to meet a year from today with a bottle of champagne, what would we be celebrating? And this is a question that comes from our good friend, Clay Hebert, who is really fantastic at marketing and branding and positioning. And the reason I love this question, it's a different way of framing what are your goals. But if I ask you, what's your goal for the year? Then you're like, oh, I'm going to accomplish these things. And you'd probably be like, goal, I have 11 goals. Let me tell you about all of them. But in this way, when you ask the question of like, okay, a year from now, we're pouring glasses of champagne. What's the toast to? What are we celebrating? Is it puts you in that mindset of like, I have achieved it. I get to feel a little bit of that. What does it feel like? I found one time that Clay asked me this question, the answer that I came up with, as I started to say it, I realized, nah, that's not my goal. That actually doesn't feel like it's worth spending a year pursuing. And so it actually challenged me to think of a bigger goal. Yeah, I would just say, really think about that. It's asking you, what does success look like at the end of this year? And from a perspective of not the intellectual success, but the feeling that I'm trying to create. Yeah, for sure. I really love just the framing of it, like thinking about sitting down with your family or your friends or, or whoever is closest to you with, you know, a drink of choice or over a great meal or whatever, or like going to your aspirational nice restaurant, you know, the like celebratory place. Yeah. Hopefully that's a thing next year. And really sitting down and like basically saying, here's what I'm proud of this year. Mm-hmm. 
you know, back to that first question next year, what was I able to get done that I'm really excited about that I'm proud of myself for that's worth celebrating? The example of this I'll share, I could dig it out right now, but somewhere over here on a bookshelf, I have my version of what Joel Runyon called his impossible list. Mm -hmm. And I did like my own version. It's kind of like a long list of progressive accomplishments in different areas of my life I hope that I would have. And like one of them was hosting a conference for X amount of people. I might've mentioned this on the show before. One of them is like deadlifting a certain amount. One of them is skiing in different locations, traveling to different places. And what's interesting is I wrote that down, I don't know, six years ago, seven years ago, eight years ago, some a long time ago now. Mm -hmm. But every time I look back at it, another one of those things is checked off. It's like an accident most of the time. It's not on my wall. I'm not trying to do it. But I do think stating your intentions for your business and your life allows them to work in the background in your mind to where they're always there. And you kind of like slowly orient your actions towards those things that matter. And often what I find is initially stating them, they tend to come up again as they continue to be important to you and you find your way there. And so this is just a more intentional way of bringing that about saying, what do I want to be able to celebrate this time next year? And it's just a nice way to kind of head into a new year. Aside from like accomplishments, I started a while back, probably 10 years ago now, doing a theme for the year. Mm. And so it would be something like presence or community. So it'd be like one to five words somewhere in there that would indicate a feeling more than an accomplishment that I wanted to foster throughout a year. And I found that really helpful to come back to. Yeah. Why am I doing the things that I'm doing? And does it help me get more of this theme that I'm looking for in my life? I like that. On the topic of celebration, one of the most meaningful things that family members have ever done for me is I think back to I had made my first iPhone app and released it into the app store and like made a first couple of sales, maybe like almost nothing, right? Just a little bit of initial traction. And I showed up to a Sunday afternoon lunch at my brother and sister-in-law's house and they like cracked open a bottle of champagne and were pouring out. I was like, what are we celebrating? And they were like, we're celebrating that you got your app launched that's in the app store. And so I would just say, if you look around in your life and you see people who are doing something that's a big moment for them and you can celebrate that, that's such a special thing to just create that little moment and celebrate them for that thing. And it's worth doing. And it'll make the rest of this year a lot brighter, you know? So I guess going back to that very first question, yes, answer, what are you proud of from 2020? for yourself. But if you could answer it for other people and then communicate that to them of like, hey, I'm really proud of you for doing this thing, or I see you, that you accomplished this goal, then I know the people you care about would really, really appreciate it. Yep, absolutely. Creator of the day. All right. We're going to do creator of the day, resource of the day, and a thought of the day. I even have a thought of the day today. Wow. I didn't know we still did those. But my creator of the day, I opened way too many tabs. And so I'm trying to find the correct one. My creator of the day is Brianne Kimmel. She's someone I've really enjoyed following on Twitter this year in particular. She's worked in startups for a long time. She's a VC investor. She's got her own firm called Work Life. And she's invested in Webflow and a bunch of other great companies. But I love following her because she's very much interested in this whole creator economy and the space that Convert gets in and everyone else of investing in and building tools that are going to help creators earn a living. So I always follow her for more examples of what the latest is. Love it. My creator of the day is a musical artist. I realized in this moment, I actually don't know how to pronounce how he would pronounce it. And then Spotify did an interview with him where he said, I don't care how you pronounce it. I'm international. He's a French artist. He would consider himself like house or electronic, which I love working to, especially. Anyways, Pettit Biscuit, maybe. He just came out with a new album called Parachute. 
I've just started listening to it today, literally last week, I think. Just really enjoyable background tunes. I was asking my executive coach recently, he was asking me if I do anything like meditating or anything where I just like down-regulate my nervous system. I was like, I always kind of struggle with it. But question for you, would like just sitting quietly listening to electronic music count? Because I really find that that just helps me like calm down a little bit and get on like a more normal even keel with myself. He's like, oh yeah, absolutely. And he like told me this model about that, that essentially for some people, like rhythm helps them get back in tune with their nervous systems. Hmm. Anyways, that's why I like electronic. And I think new album Parachute is fantastic. So check it out if you're into that kind of thing. Sounds good. All right. My resource, assuming we're going back and forth. Yeah. I've been reading the Alexander Hamilton biography by Ron Chernow. I'm like halfway through it. This is one of those books, it doesn't happen to me too often, where I'm reading a book and I find myself slightly neglecting my children because of it. You know, it's that cue of like, no, 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 hold on. Yeah, yeah, we'll play in a second. This is really good. So if that's an endorsement, I had to like put down the Kindle and do like, yes, let's go play catch in the backyard. So it's super long, but if you're a fan of the musical at all in any way, then I love you know, the soundtrack playing through my brain as little lines or characters trigger that. So it's fun to get the full backstory. I love it. My resource is one for enjoyment. This show is rated, I believe, for mature audiences. So I'm just letting you know ahead of time. Don't blame me. It's called Snowpiercer. I found it when looking for the best science fiction movies of the last five years or something like that. It's actually a TV show. It was also a movie. It's a TV show, speaking of Hamilton, with David Diggs as the starring role. If you know the stage play, I like hesitate to say this kind of thing because I hate it when people say this kind of thing to me. I'm going to say it anyways. I think it's the best show since Game of Thrones for me. Wow. It's only one season so far, 10 episodes, comes back January 25th. If you're like me, you'll be done in a week. But since there's like a couple months, you could be disciplined and watch an episode a week and still be ready for the new season. Anyways, it's fantastic. Just finished it with my wife. We both loved it. So if you watched the movie and didn't like it, you should still ignore that and watch the show. I didn't watch the movie. These both came from, I think they were French, three French graphic novels, I believe was the origin of this. Okay. And so I don't speak French, so I haven't read the graphic novels either. But if you do speak French, I don't know if there's translated versions, but that might be another place to start. So anyways, fantastic. And it's on TNT was the other surprising part. Nice. I'll check it out. TV. We are in the golden era of TV. I'm just letting everyone know. It's wild. I was reading this book, Seven Powers, which we can get into in a future future time. But just talking about the Netflix originals and the scale of all that. And then I was watching Tehran, mm-hmm. the Apple original, which I really enjoyed. I can still use it for a future yeah, yeah, yeah. resource of the day, even though I mentioned it. Right. Okay, cool. We're among friends. But just like noticing the level of content that all of these companies that were not producing or funding television or movies, you know, a couple of years ago is just insane. So it's wild. Totally the golden age of television. Yes. Okay. Last thing, thought of the day. Today is November 2nd that we are recording this. It is equally applicable regardless of when you listen. However, if you're catching us live, tomorrow is November 3rd. That is election day in the United States. Normally I'd say most of the world won't care. I think literally the whole world is watching right now. And I just wanted to leave you with a couple of notes on this. The first thing is this is highly unlikely to be resolved tomorrow. Vegas, as of last week, had the over-under on winners declared as November 17th. I say that to set your expectations. There's a long road ahead in terms of what happens in this election. No matter who you are voting for or voted for, do not go into tomorrow hoping for an outcome to be achieved because no matter what you want, it's unlikely to be achieved. And for your own mental sanity, I think it's important that you know that. And the second thing is, in the moment that these things happen, 
whoever is elected, whichever side you believe in, it can feel like the world is ending if your person doesn't win. It's not. Life is going to go on. It might be very difficult. There might be things that change about how we operate as a country. There might be violence. Like, we don't know what's going to happen. And also, you can only control what you can control. If you voted and you've done your civic duty, just stay within your world in response to this. Don't let it completely derail you as a creator, as a family person, as a friend, because all the people who love you are still going to love you whenever this thing is over. And your business is still going to exist. And you're still going to have a responsibility to the people you love and the community around you to do good in the world. So don't let the election derail you either way. That's my thought of the day. That's good. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. We'll see you all on Friday for a Q&A. Thanks for listening to The Future Belongs to Creators. We're the makers of ConvertKit, where we're on a mission to help creators earn a living by building software that helps you build an audience of loyal fans. ConvertKit is the best way to launch or grow your next creative project. To start building your audience with a landing page and to send emails up to 500 subscribers for free, go to landingpage.new. That's landingpage.new to get started with the free ConvertKit account today. We'll see you next time.